All right, well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all. Uh, this morning we are continuing on in our sermon series, Stories of Old, A Journey Through the Old Testament. Uh, as we, uh, over the next year, we're jumping in on a, a tool called the Narrative Lectionary, uh, whose goal is to uh, give us the large swath of, of scripture over the next year. And so uh, we're moving quick through the Old Testament, uh, um, but for the next uh, few weeks as we uh, head into the, the season of fall, we'll be journeying through the Old Testament, hence the sermon series name, Stories of Old, A Journey Through the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, So as we uh, get ready to jump into this morning, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, uh, we are grateful for this chance to to gather together today. Uh, We're grateful uh, for the gift of technology uh, that connects those of us here in the sanctuary to those of us on Zoom and our homes and more than that, we're, we're grateful for the, the divine, mysterious gift that is your spirit that um, somehow connects us, unites us, and is forming us together into one people. Um, so God, as we gather uh, now and as we turn to the scriptures, we, we acknowledge your spirit among us and ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into um, the image of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So first off, I should probably begin with some sort of a thank you for uh, last weekend with my ordination. Uh, what, a, what a profound, beautiful experience it was. I knew from uh, like the opening words of Sarah's call to worship, when the tears started flooding, that it was going to be a long day for good reason. So um, I, I just want to say, like, as, um, as a, a pastor of this church, like, I felt so affirmed and loved and cared for, and I am so profoundly uh, grateful for that and so profoundly grateful for you, um, my community, my church, my church family. Uh, So thank you for that. Uh, All of the events of last weekend uh, got me thinking a bit of how I got myself into all of this. Um, (laughs) Not Canton necessarily, but like being a pastor and like at a place of like pursuing ordination And it brought me all the way back to sometime in middle school, and I'm pretty sure it was seventh grade, but, you know, as I've heard from some of you, as you get up there a little bit in years, some of the details of the past get a little foggy. Uh, So I think seventh grade sometime, and I had a moment um, that I would describe as uh, my call. Now, if that language uh, of call is a little... I don't know, strange for you, like I'm right there with you. Uh, we talk about calls with pastors, but not like, you know, doctors and teachers and people doing other really good things. So I don't know how I feel about it, but for lack of a better term, my call, right? So uh, in seventh grade, at some point I had uh, this experience of, of a call. And I can remember the moment vividly. I was standing doing dishes because, you know, all good things happen when you're doing dishes. And uh, my dad was in the, the room next to me, and he was on the phone with my brother, who had just himself been ordained. And uh, I'm doing dishes, and the window's open, and everything, like, slows down. The breeze gets much more, like, not, not like, intense as in, like, heavy, just, like, I can feel it. The curtains are, like, fluttering, and the sun gets really bright. And I just had this very clear sense that you will do what your brother's doing someday. Now, uh, the, the timing of this call was really interesting. 
because I was in middle school, and uh, my middle school years for my dad were really difficult. Um, he had had a number of surgeries during uh, the course of those three years, all of which were pretty emergency, pretty like out of nowhere sort of uh, surgeries. And so um, most of his time in, while I was in middle school was either in the hospital or rehabbing from some stint in the hospital. And so I get this call in the midst of what was a difficult season. But looking back now, like it was actually at the beginning of a very difficult season. Yeah. Because after uh, seventh grade, about a year after that, my dad would be diagnosed with cancer. A year after my dad's diagnosed with cancer, he dies from cancer. A year after my dad's diagnosed with cancer, my mom gets diagnosed with cancer. And just a few short months after that, my mom then dies from cancer. And so I get this call in the midst of a difficult season, but what's really at the beginning of a very long, difficult season of life. And it's just such a profound, like, strange sort of timing because... Uh, that, that call would act as like a, a north star of sorts over the next few years as I found myself like lost in a dark forest, not knowing the way out. Uh, that call would act as like some sort of an anchor when the flood of life around me was wanting to consume. Uh, that call would act as like a, a, something that was really grounding in the midst of like the floor being pulled out from under me. Uh, this, this, this call, I can look back over the course of like, high school in particular, and like, this call was something that like, prevented me from making some pretty destructive decisions because, you know, when you're, when you're in the thick of it, like a destructive decision seems like a really good idea at the time, right? <laughs> but this was some sort of reminder that like, the, the things that I'm going through right now is not going to be all of my life, that there will be an end to this difficult season, and that I'm being invited into something beyond this moment. Now, I'm looking back on this with a little bit of distance, right? So my dad died 13 years ago now, and then my uh, mom died 11 years ago. And I still find myself asking this question of, why? <laughs> like, what's the deal? <laughs> why all of this pain? Why all of the suffering? Why go through all of this stuff? And perhaps uh, you yourself have gone through some sort of difficult journey, some sort of difficult season with pain and suffering and toil in the midst of it, and you find yourself asking similar questions of, Why? Now, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know that we will ever get an answer to this question, why. And by the way, if anybody tells you that they can give you a solid answer of why bad things happen to us, like, I would be a little skeptical of them because I'm not sure that the world is quite as black and white as that. So while we may not ever get an answer to this question, why, I do wonder if uh, something can happen if we allow ourselves to get a little bit curious with these stories. If we allow ourselves to get curious with some of these uh, painful and difficult seasons in our lives, perhaps something that feels a bit absurd and filled with meaninglessness, perhaps if we get curious with it and poke around with it a little bit, perhaps we can glean a little bit of something like wisdom and meaning out of these stories. Not wiping away the pain and suffering, far be it from that to happen, but like perhaps glean something from it. So to help us do that, uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Jacob. Uh, we pick up in his story in Genesis 28. Now, we hit the ground running in this story, so perhaps it's helpful to back up just a little bit. See, Jacob is the son of a man named Isaac, and Isaac is the son of a man named Abraham. Perhaps you remember them from a couple of weeks ago with their special camping trip. <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob make up what's often referred to as the patriarchs of our Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, they're referred to as the patriarchs, and they get the praise, but be sure that there are matriarchs behind them holding things together and actually pushing the story forward, right? So there's these, these patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A Isaac has Jacob, but he's, Jacob isn't Isaac's only son. 
Isaac, er, Isaac has two sons and they're twins. And Jacob is one of them, but Jacob's not the only one, and Jacob's not the firstborn. Isaac has a son named Esau, and Esau comes out, and he's covered in red fur. And you can tell from the beginning, he's going to be like a burly, manly man who scratches his chest and grunts and goes out and does hunting sorts of things, right? Esau is the epitome of like what you wanted to be as a man in the ancient world. And then we have Jacob. Jacob was born second, but not by much, because we're told that he was grasping his brother's heel as they came out of the womb. And this becomes like a a symbolic of all of Jacob's life. He's always grasping at his brother's heel, always trying to vie for the things that he is not, everything that his brother is. Because if Esau is presented as this big, burly, hairy mammoth of a man who grunts and scratches his chest and does all of these things, Jacob is presented as the complete opposite. Because we're told that as Esau is out hunting, Jacob's in the kitchen with mom, uh, taking care of the home and getting things settled. And Jacob is everything that like, he shouldn't be as a man in this world. And so we find him grasping at his brother's heel time and time again all throughout their life. Now, there comes a dramatic moment where Isaac, their father, is now way up there in years and is borderline blind and is, knows that his time is, is coming to an end. And so he tells Esau, go out, get some, hunt some game, cook up a stew so I can have the strength to offer you my blessing. I don't understand how these blessings work. I don't know if they're like the mouthpiece of God, but I do know that in the ancient world, they put all sort of credence upon the dying words of the patriarch. So there's something significant happening here. Esau goes out, he's hunting, doing his manly sort of thing, right? And uh, their, their mother, Rebecca, sees what's happening here. And she sends Jacob in and says, go steal your brother's blessing. So they cover him up in like goat hair, which... I mean, Esau must have been, like, disgustingly hairy, right? <laughs> they cover him in his brother's clothing so that, like, he smells like Esau. And Jacob goes in, does all these things. There's a little bit of back and forth. But we get to the point where Isaac offers Jacob Esau's blessing. Jacob leaves. Esau comes back with the game, cooks up a stew, brings it in. And Isaac goes, oh, <laughs> we should probably talk. See, Isaac gave his blessing to Jacob, and it was a blessing of, um, of fertility, of abundance, of domination, like all the things that you needed and wanted in the ancient world. And his blessing, if you will, to uh, Esau was one of famine, one of lack, and one of living by the sword. And so Esau, being the big burly man that he is, avenges Uh, to take his brother's life. And so their mother overhears this and sends Jacob off on his way. And so Jacob is now on the run as we pick up in Genesis 28, fleeing from his brother Esau. So Genesis 28, verse 10, we read, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. So Jacob comes to this place that will later be known as Bethel. And the the journey from Beersheba to Bethel was something like 60 miles, which would have taken like multiple days on foot. And I'm curious what's going on in Jacob's mind as he gets to Bethel. I'm curious what sort of thoughts he's had over these few days on foot fleeing from his brother's life. Does he wonder like, is that the last time that I'll ever see my dad? Is that the last interaction of, that I'll have with dad of like deceiving him and manipulating him, taking advantage of him to get up his blessing? I wonder if he's asking like, will I ever see mom again? Good old mom who always loved me, who always took me under her wing, who was always willing to risk her place in the family for my sake. 
I wonder if he thought about his brother Esau, if that would ever be the last time that he would see him. Yeah, sure, we had our our differences, but, you know, I kind of stole some, like, pretty important things from him. Is that how I want to, you know, go down in memory with him? And I wonder if he's also thinking about himself. Like, he just left his family, his community, the only thing that he had ever known, and now he's out there trying to fend for himself. I wonder if he's asking these questions because I think these are the questions I would be asking if I were Jacob, right? And so he gets to this place and he stops there. And we're told, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to the heavens, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you, and I will bring and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until you I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, "Surely the Lord is in this place." And I did not know it. So Jacob's on the run, and he comes to this place, and he uh, grabs a rock, as you do for a pillow, and falls asleep, and he has this dream. And this dream is really what we might call like a theophany, some sort of vision, some sort of revelation, some sort of experience encounter with the divine. And this ladder represents uh, what one, and in this dream, he has a vision of a ladder. And this ladder represents what one commentator refers to as a sacred portal of realms, See, this ladder becomes this like connecting point between heaven and earth, the p- dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of humankind. And it's in this moment that heaven and earth collide in a dramatic, beautiful sort of way. And Jacob has this vision for the future. Now, this vision for the future most certainly would have brought about some sort of clarity in the midst of all of this confusion over the last few days. This vision certainly would have brought about a good bit of comfort in the midst of all of the chaos of the last few days. This vision would have most certainly brought about a good bit of peace in the midst of being pursued by his brother Esau over the last few days. And the vision that he has is this message from God, summarized best in verse 15, where God says to Jacob, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Recognize that this message that God gives to Jacob is a promise of presence and protection. God says, you are on the run, but you will not run from me. I will be with you. There is all sorts of things out to get you, but I will protect you in the midst of this. It's a promise of presence and protection. And one of the things that we know about human beings is like safety is like so incredibly core to us. And a sense of safety is so incredibly core to who we are as human beings. And we know that like we have all of these other needs in life, but if safety is not present in them, we will like digress in our evolution as humans to get back to a point where we can feel safe. And if this is true for you and me and our smartphones in the 21st century, how much more would this be for Jacob who's running from his hairy mammoth of a man brother uh, in in the ancient world without the convenience of Google Maps, right? And so God comes to Jacob, offers him this promise of presence and protection, and Jacob responds by saying, essentially, if God, then God. If God does all of these things, then God will be my God, and my people will be the people of God. 
Which is a way of like saying that Jacob, at the beginning of this long and difficult journey, like reorients himself to God, like shifts his perspective back to God. Now, <clears throat> the story of Jacob gets far more hectic, far more chaotic. It's that classic story of going off to your uncle's land and falling in love with your girl cousin and promising to work for your uncle for seven years, only to be duped and given another girl cousin in marriage, and then recommitting another seven years to marry said girl cousin. His story gets far more hectic and chaotic, right? And now, we're not privy to, like, Jacob's inner world, right? Um, But I can't help but wonder, like, what sort of an impact this encounter with God had in his life. Do you think, like, perhaps he, he, uh, he clung to this promise often? Do you think in some ways, like, he thought of it often? Do you think in some ways that this, this promise of presence and protection would have, like, uh, given him a good bit of hope while he was on the run? Or perhaps do you think that this promise of presence and protection did something to his perspective on this journey that he was setting out on? This journey filled with all sorts of absurdity, this journey filled with all sorts of pain and toil, and this journey filled with all sorts of suffering. Now I ask all of this because as I think back to this encounter that I had with God in seventh grade at the kitchen sink, I know that that did for me. That in the midst of like what would become this, this journey of suffering in my life, that this gave me all sorts of comfort and hope and peace and clarity and all of these sorts of things. And it began to do something to my perspective in the midst of what would become a journey of suffering for me. And as I think about my story, as I think about the story of Jacob, as I think about the stories of numerous people that I've talked to who have gone through all sorts of pain and suffering in their life, I'm convinced of this idea that uh, when we have these moments in our life that are like reminders of God's presence and protection in our life, that when we have these reminders that it can transform what would otherwise be a, a somewhat meaningless journey of suffering, that it can transform that into something that we might call like a pilgrimage of significance. Now we have a journey, right? Uh, like a journey is essentially a, a, a traveling from point A to point B. We leave one place, we get to the, no, the next, right? It's like going to Aldi with a shopping list, right? There's not a whole lot of excitement to it most of the time, anyways. But a pilgrimage is something different. It's a journey, but it's a journey with our eyes wide open. It's a journey that has a potential of significance to it. It's a journey where we gain perspective, gain wisdom, gain understanding in the things that are happening in our life. A pilgrimage is like core to all of the great stories of, uh, of all time, right? Perhaps uh, the, the greatest pilgrimage of all being like Frodo on his way to Mordor, right? Taking this ring to destroy it. Like that's not a journey, right? Like he learns an awful lot about himself along the way, right? He learns who he is, what he's about, what he's made of, why he was put on this earth in the first place. And this is what a pilgrimage is all about. And I think when we have these reminders of God's presence and protection in our life, it can take what would otherwise be a meaningless journey of suffering and transform it into a pilgrimage of significance where we can glean all sorts of wisdom and all sorts of meaning out of our lives. So why do bad things happen? I have no idea. That's way out of my pay grade. Um, Sometimes it's like, because of our own decisions, like, you know, trying to steal your big hairy mammoth of a brother's birthright. Um, other times, like, it's 
we're an innocent bystander. It's the decisions of others. And other times it's like as random as both of your parents dying of cancer who never had any sort of trace of cancer in our family. Why do bad things happen? I have no idea. But what I do know is that the story of Jacob and God's promise to Jacob is somewhat paradigm of what we see in the rest of Scripture, of God offering God's promise of presence and protection to us throughout the difficult journeys of life. And throughout this, we are invited to shift our perspective from a somewhat meaningless journey of suffering into a pilgrimage of significance. As I think back to my own uh, journey of suffering, if I can shift it into a, a pilgrimage of significance, I can begin to see like the ways in which I was able to take advantage of the things that were trying to take advantage of me. <laughs> because uh, throughout my, my pilgrimage of significance, I got really comfortable with being in difficult and painful and awkward situations. Because as a 15, 16, 17-year-old uh, boy losing your parents, you don't have any other option other than to be in that difficult, painful, and awkward situation. And so now on the other side of that, I'm pretty comfortable at sitting in those difficult, painful, and awkward situations. Some would say a little too comfortable in the awkward situations from time to time. But here's the deal. Like, we all go through difficult, painful, and awkward situations. And what we need most in those moments is often someone to sit there with us. And because of that experience, because I was able to take advantage of the thing trying to take advantage of me, that's a gift that I can now offer to the world. Or what about this? Like, as a 17-year-old newly orphaned child, I recognize, like, it's easy to fall through the cracks. Like, we have some really good, beautiful safety nets in our world, and yet it's still really easy to slip through those and be forgotten about in the systems. And thank God I had my brothers, but not everybody has brothers like I do. And so this developed within me this passion for justice, this recognition like our world doesn't have to be the way that it is and perhaps God is inviting us as the people of God to do something about it and to reorient and restructure the world in which we live so that nobody falls through the gaps. See, what can be once a, a meaningless journey of suffering with these reminders of God's presence and protection can be shifted and transformed into a pilgrimage of significance. Again, not doing away with the pain, not diminishing any of the suffering but helping us like learn something from it, gaining wisdom, gaining perspective of what it is that God is inviting us into. Lastly, we'll notice a, an important word in all of this back here, right? And that's the word reminders. And if you have ever gone through a journey of suffering, you know that reminders of God's presence and protection can be hard to come by from time to time, right? I think that's exactly where you and I and we and us step into all of this. See, I think often God is inviting us to be those reminders of God's presence and protection in the lives of one another. Uh, there's an old tale about a man uh, who's in a city that's about to, to be flooded. And they send out an evacuation notice and the man uh, to, to leave the, their homes. And the man says, I will not leave. God will protect me. The rains come, the waters start to rise, he's on his roof, a boat comes by and they say, hey, the flood's getting worse, you should probably jump in the boat and leave. And the man says, I will not, God will protect me. The floods get worse and now a helicopter comes by and they say through the, the megaphone, like, hey, the floods are getting worse, you should jump on the ladder and we'll, we'll take you to safety. And he says, I will not, God will protect me. The man dies, <clears throat> surprise, surprise, and he now is standing before the throne of God Almighty and he says, what's the deal, God? 
Why didn't you protect me? And God looks down on the man and says, what's the deal, man? I sent you an evacuation notice. I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter. Why didn't you take any of them? I say all of that because in my own sort of journey of suffering, I found myself asking God, where are you often? And I think God would answer that question with, I was with you and your brothers, particularly one brother who was particularly qualified at that point to take you in. I was with you in your church who had a a youth pastor who was just uniquely equipped to deal with you in that year. I was with you when I sent you, when I created a way for you to go to a, a beautiful school that was also, by the way, a Catholic school that ignited this passion for theology within me. Where else could I have been in your story? And I think often God is inviting us to be these reminders of God's presence and protection in the lives of one another. Here's the fun part of the sermon. I think we're doing an awesome job at that, by the way. I think we've seen this over the course of the last 18 months that we've called COVID. At a time when it's very easy to feel isolated, to feel separated, to feel disconnected from everyone else in the world and to wonder if God is actually with us or protecting us, I think we have been able to be reminders of God's presence and protection. Whether that's be, be an awkward Zoom worship service over the course of five months where like we didn't know what the heck we were doing, <laughs> Or rather that be like going grocery shopping for people who were like legitimately scared for their life. Or rather that's making meals for people who were sick. We were tangible reminders of God's presence and protection in one another's lives. Or we do this each and every week through this thing that we call God at Work, where we have an open microphone and people can get up and share the ways that they've seen God at work. Like these, these reminders of the ways that God is still at work in our lives and in the world around us. These reminders of God's presence and protection in our lives. Or we get up and we share the ways that we would like to see God at work and we stand up and we respond as the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. These reminders of God's presence and protection in our lives. See, all of us are going to, from some time or another, enter into what could potentially be a meaningless journey of suffering. But I think this is where you and I get to stand in the gap and be these reminders of God's presence and protection. And in doing so, can help transform this journey of suffering into a pilgrimage of significance where we are now empowered to take advantage of the things that are taking advantage of us. And we can be raised up and grown up and transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, more and more into the people that God has invited us and called us to be. Let's pray. Loving God, we acknowledge our confusion about bad things. We acknowledge our frustration, our anger about these journeys of suffering. but we're grateful for reminders of your presence and protection in our lives. Whether that be a a dream with a ladder and an image of you, or whether that be a text from someone at church saying, hey, can I drop off a meal for you? God, we're grateful for these reminders. We pray that your spirit would be at work in these journeys of suffering. Help us to, to grab hold of these reminders. And may these journeys of suffering be transformed in some way into a pilgrimage of significance where we can glean wisdom and meaning and insight and uh, through your spirit that these things can transform us into the people um, 
that you invite us to be. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.